We are in uh, the third week of our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, and beginning in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5 and running through chapter 7, we have Jesus' longest recorded sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And as maybe you've read the Sermon on the Mount before, or maybe this is your first time really looking at it, you'll notice that Jesus' words were quite countercultural then, and they remain countercultural. And because of that, it's easy for people, even for Christians, to dismiss Jesus' commands in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what they are. Many of them are commands, they're imperatives. Now, instead of rejecting Jesus' words today, I hope all of us will hear, will see how life-giving and how life-changing they truly are. Uh, We have kind of a doozy of a message this morning. Uh, The sermon is on Jesus' words on, uh, on lust. Yay! So before we read the passage, it would be helpful for us to have kind of a biblical definition of what lust is. Lust is an intense sexual craving and desire that disgraces the person that we're lusting after and disregards God. Lust is an intense sexual craving and desire that disgraces the person and disregards God. You may have heard me say this before, and it's a sermon for another day to really get into this a little bit deeper, but culturally, when it comes to sexuality, we have no idea in our day and age what is right and what is wrong. What is healthy or unhealthy, what is pure or impure. And I'm convinced of that in the church and out of the church. Our sexual ethic is very confused. Now, Jesus knew the dangers that we could fall into with a bad sexual ethic or with lust. So his words are really vital for us to take hold of today. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 30. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Uh, We'll have the passage on the screen for you this morning. Jesus preached these words. You have heard that it was said... Do not commit adultery. That's the seventh of the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully, or man, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose 
one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for that you lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Well, here's where we're going this morning. Here's kind of our big idea. Lust is settling for less than the best. Lust is settling for less than the best. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word this morning. We do thank you, God, that your word is challenging. It's convicting. At times, it's really hard. And we pray, Lord, that your word will change us, that your Holy Spirit will change us and not the culture, not our own sinful desires and wants and cravings. So God, we pray that you will work in us in such a way that you will do something in us, God, that desires more of you, less of ourselves, less of this world. God, do that in such a way that only you can take credit. It's not in any of our good. It's not necessarily even in our perseverance, but God, it's in your grace and your power and your mercy working in us. So Jesus, we pray for that this morning when it comes to this whole idea of lust. Doesn't matter how old we are, how young we are, God, lust is pervasive in our lives and in our culture. God, give us everything that we need to combat it. For your purposes, Jesus, we pray all this in your name. Amen. When I was nine years old, my next door neighbor, Bubba, I think everybody had a Bubba friend growing up, didn't you? I did. Nine years old, my next door neighbor, Bubba, took my brother and I up the street to buy fireworks from an older kid that he knew. I still remember the moment quite vividly. Bubba rang the doorbell and Billy, everybody knew a Billy growing up too, especially in the 80s. Billy answered the door and Bubba said, we want to buy some bottle rockets and firecrackers. What do you have? Billy said, I don't have any fireworks today, but I do have a video. And if each of you gives me $2, I'll let you watch it. Bubba was 14, my older brother was 12, and there I was, a nine-year-old little boy. Naturally, I followed the two of them Billy put the video in, and that was the first time in my life at nine years old I saw pornography. 38 years later, 47 now, 38 years later, some of those images are still etched into my mind. 38 years. They did something to me. Those images messed with me. They, they burned themselves into my mind and, and contaminated my heart. Sadly, I, I, I wish my story wasn't unique, but it's not. 
Lust is America's favorite pastime. It's not baseball. It's lust. It's sexuality. And for years, it was believed that lust was just a guy's issue. Everything you've heard in the past, though, is untrue. It is completely untrue. Men and women are driven by lust. Sometimes with women, it it does manifest itself differently, but it's still lust. You see, lust isn't just viewing a, a skanky video or website, but it can manifest itself in watching the things like The Bachelor or Game of Thrones or reading those steamy romance novels on the beach. Whatever else causes our hearts and our minds to wander. See, we have a tendency, don't we? We have a tendency to to trade true biblical intimacy and love for a quick fix, a two-bit knockoff. In my late teens, lived about an hour or so from New York City, and I used to love to go to the city because I could buy knockoffs there and I could look good. I could get a fake Rolex or fake Gucci t-shirts. The watches, the Rolexes, right, they looked real. But after a few days, my wrist turned green and they stopped ticking. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, right? Adam and Eve were created and wired to experience life together. And with one choice, right, one decision, their relationship, the perfect intimacy that they shared was fractured. Instead of being naked and unashamed, what happened, right? They hid from God. They hid from one another, and they covered themselves. Sin has distorted our God-given desires. God intended intimacy to to be a gift. The best relational gift we could experience, but we've traded it for a bootleg, a knockoff. I mean, culturally, we've made everything about our sexual drive, haven't we? We've made everything about our lust. We think our lives revolve around our sexual impulses. Notice all the debates today. Everything is sexual. Culturally, this is what we created. Your identity revolves around how you feel sexually. Biblically, we know this as Christians, for those of us that are believers in this room, Biblically, our identity identity should revolve around the truth that God created us in his image. Amen? You are his special possession. You are chosen by the creator of the universe. 
You are treasured. You are irreplaceable. You are loved beyond compare. You are worth dying for. You are forgiven. You are his child. You are secured for all eternity. You are set free. You are precious to him. You are set apart. Amen? This is just 12 things that identify you as a child of God. Your identity should revolve around who God says you are. You are more than an object. You are, as I said a second ago, a child of God. See, he did design us for intimacy first with him and second with others. Within his, within God's relational and sexual ethic. See, what happens when we watch the videos, read the novels, take the second and the third and the fourth look is we're inviting a sickness into our souls and it's contaminating every single part of us and it's deadening our desire to pursue true intimacy. It's deadening our desire to pursue Jesus. Jesus, as I read a second ago, had strong words about this, didn't he? And we want to come to his words not seeking to get beat up, but but seeking to be challenged, to be corrected, to be straightened out, to pursue him rather than our sin. All right, let's... Look at the passage a little bit deeper, right? Matthew 5, 27 and 28, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I'm not saying this is an easy passage. This is one of those, actually, that we were reading through the Sermon on the Mount. We, we like to kind of skip over. But we need it, don't we? Yeah? We need it? I hope. You have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. So Jesus is inviting us to a new way to wrestle with old words. The command, do not commit adultery, as I said a few minutes ago, is the seventh of the Ten Commandments. One thing we notice about Jesus is he always goes more in depth. When he takes the words from the old, he he takes them a little bit deeper. He shines a new light on them. He's always going below the surface. That's, That's one of the reasons why Christians... Superficial Christianity should really annoy us because Jesus is deeper than just the facade we put on. Superficial Christianity, it's not what Jesus modeled. It's not what he preached. 
in a very real way, if I could maybe put it in our modern vernacular, Jesus is looking at his followers. He's looking at the disciples. He's looking at, at every person that's gathered there on that day as he's preaching to them. And he's going like this. I'm, I'm going to be a little sarcastic here. I don't think Jesus did this, but, but to prove a point, right? I think he's saying, great job. Good for you. You haven't committed adultery. But what's in your heart? What's going on here? A few weeks ago, I was reading about Ernest Shackleton. Have you ever heard of him? He's a phenomenal leader. He was an explorer of the Arctic. Uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. Fascinating man, fascinating story, Ernest Shackleton. And as I read about his most famous exploration, we're talking all about icebergs, and then I got sidetracked, the whole ADD thing, right? I read one thing, and then it takes me to another. That's what happened. And I started reading about icebergs. Do you know that 90% of the mass of an iceberg is underwater? 90%. I think we have a picture for you. That's essentially what an iceberg looks like. See, do not commit adultery. That's what we see. The visible 10%, but what about the 90% that's hidden? That no one sees, that you don't show, not even your spouse or your best friend. See, Jesus always gets to the heart of the matter. He always gets below the surface. He always goes deeper. Well, pastor, what are you getting at? I'm getting at this. No one wakes up one day. No one wakes. None of us will wake up tomorrow and say, you know what? Out of all the things I'm going to do today, I'm going to have an affair. I'm going to ruin my life, my kids' lives, my wife's life. I'm going to ruin everyone's life. No one wakes up and thinks that. It's the 90%. What's going on in our hearts? See, everything we do flows from the heart, right? I mean, that's biblical. The writer of the Proverbs warns us. It's probably a verse that a lot of us have memorized. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Everything good and bad flows from the heart. Jesus preaches on this. Paul preaches on this. There are times when someone sins. There are times, I'll make it personal, there are times when I sin. And I've said things like, this isn't who I am. I just had a lapse of judgment. Have you ever said that? Of course you have. I'll raise my hand. I'm a sinner. Cheap of sinners. This isn't who I am. I just had a lapse of judgment. No, the reality is, it is who you are. It is who I am. It may not be who I was, or who I want to be, but in the moment, that's who I am. I've sinned, and I've fallen short. 
we allowed our heart to be overwhelmed with sin instead of love, right? Matthew 15. Jesus said, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, and slander. See, the sin manifests itself in action because of the heart, what's underneath. It's corrupted, and it desperately needs Jesus. But I tell you, Jesus said, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully, or a man, right, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Everyone who looks. In other words, everyone who looks and keeps looking. Not just to see, but then allows the cravings and the desires to then want the person. Jesus communicated an impure heart turns someone created in the image of God into an object of self-gratification. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's, he's pushing against what we have come to believe as normal. Now mention that to a non-Christian. Mention Matthew 28. 528 to a non-Christian, and they'll call you narrow-minded and an overzealous prude, right? Better yet, mention it to someone in the church. I've heard this. Boys will be boys. Girls just want to have fun, right? See, sexual desires are normal. They're normal. And they're healthy. They're created by God, but not to be misused and exploited. See, lust says to another person, I want your body, but not you. I want what you can give to me, not what I can offer to you in intimacy and love. Lust says to God, God, I know what you said, but my sexual gratification is more important than you and your commands. Now, I know, right, the Christian response, of course, God is more important than my sexual gratification. Of course, God is more important than my lust. And why aren't we living that way? Why? Why do Christians continue to have adulterous affairs at the rate and sometimes exceeding the rate of the general population? Why do we as Christians, when we go away to conferences and retreats and all of this stuff, do we consume hours of pornography? Because we have a moment alone. Maybe sometimes we're spending too much time at the top of the iceberg and we need to look below the waterline and look at the 90% of our heart that is contaminated by sin. Now, if we thought Jesus' words were strong, right, in other areas, did he notice what he said about lust? Lust. 
If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to go into hell. And so many of us read those words and we say, well, Jesus is just using hyperbole here. You remember hyperbole, right? It's just an exaggerated statement, but not to be taken literally. That's what we believe that Jesus is saying here. I think here Jesus is using sarcasm, not hyperbole. And there's a difference. Let me explain. Many people, including Christians, disconnect Jesus' words from real life. They want to talk about the glory of heaven, but not the reality of hell. Jesus communicates quite vividly that we should fight against lust. We should fight against, we should go to war against an unbiblical sexual ethic. The fight may involve gouging out our eyes, but if Jesus is better and he's worth fighting for, we will do whatever we have to to kill sin. If you don't fight lust, here's what Jesus is saying. If you don't fight lust, you won't go to heaven. That's what he's saying. And that probably startled some of us. Good. See, Jesus often spoke about love and grace, but he said far more about the dangers of hell. Do you know that? He spoke more on hell than he did of love and grace. Why? There's a reason for it, because Christians fight sin. That's the mark of a believer in Christ. One of the marks of a believer in Christ is that they fight sin. They identify what is below the surface, and they go to war against it. That's what Jesus is saying. If you're not fighting sin, if you're not trying to kill the sin in your life, can you call yourself a Christian? Everything in the New Testament says no. See, we fight sin because we know that Jesus is better. We fight sin because we know that Jesus gave up everything for our freedom so that we could be set free, so that we don't have to remain in bondage, so guilt and shame doesn't have to crush us all the day long. See, I think Jesus used sarcasm because he knows if we gouge out our eyes or cut off our arms, it's not gonna solve the problem. <laughs> He knows that. He's Jesus. There are plenty of monks down through history that can attest to that as well, who took him quite literally. See, the problem Jesus knew is internal. It's not external. The heart, your heart and my heart needs Jesus. 
We need to fight for more of him in our lives and less of lust. And we can't settle. We can't settle for a knockoff. But we have to believe in our hearts that Jesus truly is better. Well, what do we do with these words, right? Because they're really hard. And you're like, gosh, man, of all the Sundays we could have come to church, July 10th, this was a terrible one. I hope not. I hope not just in the idea of lust, but in other sins that you wrestle with that you've got to go deeper to see where is this coming from? Where is my anger coming from when I pop off at my spouse or yell at my kids? It's not coming just because they didn't put their toys away. Or your husband forgot to mow the lawn or take out the trash. The anger is coming from somewhere else. Below the surface. What do we do? What do we do with Jesus' words? We, well, we follow the three F words. Fight, flee, and faith. We fight, we flee, and we have faith. First, I was alluding to this, but we've got to fight for our faith. We've got to fight for it. We, we, we don't give up as Christians. We don't retreat. We don't wave a white flag in defeat. The battle's already been won. We've just got to cling to the victor. We've got to cling to Jesus, Amen. So we don't give up, we don't retreat, we don't wave a white flag. 1 Timothy 6.12, the Apostle Paul encourages the younger Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Jesus gave you freedom, hope, life, love, grace, and so much more. You're called to fight for what he has given you. Don't let anything rob you or take from you the best that you've received in Jesus. Second, stop allowing, and that's what we're doing, stop allowing lust to fill your heart and your mind. Stop allowing it in. Flee from lust. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, flee sexual immorality. Explanation point. It's an imperative. Do it. Do it now. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person is sexually immoral, sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Flee from it. Well, how do we flee? How do we flee from something like lust? Well, first, let the Bible, let God instruct you on what a healthy sexual ethic is. 
Don't let the culture do it. Stop watching the movies and the shows that are causing your heart and your mind to wander. Put some software on your computer, your phone. I've said this before, man, but our phones, we're walking around with like loaded handguns. We're literally killing ourselves. And I've said this before, man, and I'll say it again, but if you have given your child a phone with no protection on Google, Safari, any of that stuff, you are crazy. And you can get upset with me all you want. But I've seen it destroy lives, marriages. Get an accountability partner, someone that you can really be honest with. Years ago, I was in an accountability group, and we had a guy in the group, and he was really struggling with pornography. He couldn't stop. So we went to his apartment one day and took his computer, desktop, big. This is like 15 years ago, 20 years, big desktop. Took the whole thing. What am I going to do? I need to get work done. Go to the library in a computer lab. But you're not having your computer for a long while. And he didn't. We had it for like two years. Is that a little much? I don't think so. If you're married, talk to your spouse about your temptations. If you're married, have sex. It's biblical. And all the fellows said, amen. You can laugh a little bit. It's okay. But seriously, though, listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote. Because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. And each woman should have sexual relations with her husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. That's not a license to abuse, by the way, or to take advantage. It's been preached that way before. Don't do it. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again. Otherwise... Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That's a biblical sexual ethic. It's one of them. If you're single, for the love of all that's holy, if you're single, that is not married. Don't have sex. Good? Don't pull the we're in love card or we're engaged and da 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 da. Been there, done that, seen it. Why, Pastor? Why? Refer back to 1 Corinthians 6. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin you commit is outside the body, but sexual immorality is in the body. Look at it this way. We don't put fences around weeds. 
We put fences around gardens. We guard, we protect what is beautiful and good. We don't freely give it away. Finally, have faith. Have faith that you can experience victory over lust. You can. You can experience victory because of God's love for this reason, or for this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden. Fleeing lust, sinful sexuality is not a burden. And his commands are not a burden because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. See, you can experience victory over lust because God loves you and you love him and his Holy Spirit is in you and it's empowering you to fight any and every sin in your life, including the sin of lust. Do you believe that? I hope so. Because Jesus saved you. Yes, for heaven. Yes, to be with him for eternity. But he saved you as well to fight the good fight. To show the world the beauty and majesty of Jesus and what it means to have freedom in him, what it means to have the shackles broken, what it means to no longer be in bondage to shame and guilt. See, as we battle sin, as we fight sin, as we cling to Jesus, as we hold on to him and we cry out, Father God, I will not let go of you. Will not let go of you because of my faith in you. As we live in that way, we're empowered to live for him. We're empowered to show his grace and his love to a dying world and see lives radically changed. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. And we're gonna transition to this beautiful time of communion. And your heart right now may feel heavy. You may feel burdened. But as we come to this time, I wanna invite you to give the burden, to give the feelings of being overwhelmed, to give the feelings of being trapped in your sin, hand it all over to Jesus. And as you do that, he will give you his freedom. See, Jesus in his grace and mercy gives us communion to remember, to not forget his work for us and in us See, Jesus saved us from every sin, including the sin of lust, and he has given us the power and ability to live in freedom. So as we take communion this morning, take your time, pray, don't rush, and try to have intimacy with our God and King. Now, before... 
we move a little bit further in the liturgy. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus this morning, that is, if you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus, I ask you to refrain from taking communion. And I say that not to judge you, but I say that to protect you. The Apostle Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of our Lord. If you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. So we want to protect you. We're so blessed that you're here. We're honored that you're here. And we hope and pray that you will surrender your sin to King Jesus and experience the freedom that only he provides. And with all that said, the Lord's Supper, this time of remembrance is, it's not for perfect people, but it's for sinners, sinners like you and me, sinners that are struggling, sinners that are battling and fighting against lust every day. But it's for sinners that know they need Jesus. Sinners that know and believe, I can't go into the battle alone, I need I need Jesus, I need my King, I need the victor. So if you trust in Jesus, if you're following him, I wanna invite you to the table. Let me pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, God, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, and we know that you do, and forgive us, and we know that you have, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, Jesus, the King that reigns. Amen and amen. On the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death. Our Lord took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. supper he took the cup of wine and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and said drink this all of you this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins whenever you drink it do this in remembrance of me Jesus has and will give you more than you could ever imagine. Surrender your heart, surrender your mind, surrender your soul to him, and he will radically change you from the inside out. Father God, we come before you now 
as we have throughout this worship service, God, we come to you humbly. And we ask, God, that you will empower us, that you'll strengthen us, God, to fight every sin that is in us. God, help us to not look at just the 10%, but God, to go below the surface to battle the other 90%. God, help us today, whether it's lust, whether it's anger, whether it's anxiety, whatever it is, God, help us to not settle for less than the best. Help us, Jesus, to embrace you and only you. If you would please stand and we'll continue to worship our King.